Hey, Jez, do you social? Uh, I think so. Well, we do. Flynn's Walk does. At Flynn's Walk on Instagram and the Flynn's Walk Facebook page. Both great places to go to stay in touch and make sure you're keeping up with the latest episodes, but also our events as we as we launch those and uh, you can find out where you might be able to get involved a little bit more. When is Flynn's Walk going to get a TikTok page? I thought we were going to become TikTok stars by now. Oh, I don't know. Do we expand? That's more a Lewis and Robbie thing, surely. Yeah, probably. Jez, we've got the website too. We do. The website's flynnswalk.com.au. You can find everything about us and what we do in the walks coming up. You can also find our merch store on there, which has all our wonderful products. And you can also leave us a donation, which is now tax deductible. It is. Beautiful. Click, like, share, subscribe away, give us a follow and uh, we'll see you in the social stratosphere. Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk and we are flying with season three. We never ever thought uh, we'd start a podcast, let alone get to the third season and be flying along with so much momentum. I'm Jack Levitt, one half of the co-host panel for today. The other half is Cam. Cam, welcome, mate. Hello. How are you going? I'm good, mate. Um, it's good to good to chat with you again. And um, <laughs> as has become our life through the Zoom portal, but uh, that's okay. I've actually just um, for the first time I'm displaying my new background. I've moved my desk. Yeah, yeah. I get. I've got to see a few different ones so far. So it's it's been pretty exciting. I'm I'm sorry that I haven't had something new for you. It's just been the same same one each time. We could potentially. Well, I mean, and this is very people are probably turning off this episode now because this has just gone <laughs> right off track. We could potentially just start to plant things in our backgrounds that. Spot that's become a spot the difference amongst the hosts. Yeah, it'd be a yeah, a bit of fun for us at least. But anyway, Cam, we're not here to talk about Zoom backgrounds. They are important. They are important, and definitely part of my thinking in terms of moving the desk. But actually, I just wanted to be able to look out the window a little bit more, um, which is nice. We've covered some amazing areas within the mental health space, but the veterinary field as well, and hopefully try to be a really nice cross section and overlap of the two where we can. Um, Today, I'm excited because we're going to be joined by the Australian Chief Veterinary Officer um, from the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. He's based in Canberra. He's also the Australian Delegate for the OIE, which is the world, what is it? The world? Well, it's, look, it's in French and I'm not going to try to insult anybody with my pronunciation. Oh, come on, mate. <laughs> I thought you'd been practicing. Just in private. It's, it's not something that's ready for the world just yet. It's the, uh, it's the World Organization for Animal Health. So it's the animal version of the WHO. So um, between that and um, his chief vet officer role, he's, uh, he's got a lot of responsibilities. And uh, not just being a delegate of the OIE, he's, uh, he's the immediate past president. Um, so overseeing a lot of hugely important things there. And, and yeah, between those, those two roles, uh, he's overseeing things that are important in, in animal health, obviously, but also in terms of, of human health. Um, there's that thing that we often come back to, One Health, um, an area that that I'm a bit involved in. Um, many of our past guests have been involved in as well. Um, that overlap between animal, human, environmental health. So um, hugely varied roles for him. Um, a lot of really interesting stuff that we'll get to hear about. So um, pretty excited to speak to him. Yeah, it certainly offers another angle of diversity as well by way of um, 
where you can take your veterinary career. Maybe you're a new grad looking for what it is that you'd like to do, or maybe you've been around it for a while and, and you're looking for somewhere new to move to. So we'll unpack a little bit of that with Mark as well and get some insights on what else might be out there. Um, but I'm really excited, um, Cam, to welcome him in and uh, get into it. Sounds good. Today, uh, we're welcoming a very special guest in from Canberra, Dr. Mark Ship, who is the Australian Chief Veterinary Officer. Mark, welcome to Flynn's Talk. Thank you for having me along. It's great to be here. Our privilege, mate, to, to connect with you. And we did get the chance to, to catch you up at the Canberra Walk back in May, which was awesome. And uh, we've managed to somehow pick our timing with how we had our walk in Melbourne and then getting up to Canberra, feeling very uh, grateful for the support we got up there and um, the community that turned out. There's obviously a lot of people in Canberra that um, apparently love pets and are really keen to support the veterinary community. So that's fantastic. Mark, uh, for our listeners, we've got a varied audience um, that tune in for the podcast. It'd be great just to start with what your role entails and where that fits in the bigger picture in, in, the, in terms of community health. Sure. I, I became uh, the Chief Veterinary Officer in 2011. Um, and uh, that means that I lead uh, the Australian uh, government uh, role on animal health and represent Australia internationally on animal health issues. Uh, so that meant, has also meant that I became the delegate to the OIE, the World Organisation for Animal Health, which sets the international trading uh, standards for animal health and welfare, and uh, was able to input uh, into the development of those standards, which are obviously very important for Australia as a country that exports animals and animal products, and as a country that has a high biosecurity status and wants to ensure that diseases are not coming into the country. So that, that international role is uh, one important aspect. Another uh, is uh, being able to identify emerging risks and opportunities and uh, advise uh, government, uh, ministers, industry on, on those emerging issues. Uh, and the third area is around uh, antimicrobial resistance and uh, have worked with the Chief Medical Officer to develop uh, Australia's national strategy and, and action plan on antimicrobial resistance uh, because uh, the animal agriculture sector uh, is the majority user of antimicrobials, uh, which is the, the main driver for antimicrobial resistance. And you've had your position as the president of OAE recently. What's your sort of main position and involvement with, with them? Uh, so the World Organisation for Animal Health uh, is an international standard-setting body it was established in the uh, early 1920s, so it predates uh, the United Nations uh, by uh, uh, 20 years or so. Um, and it has 182 member countries and about 75 other organisations that it has formal relationships with. For the last three years, I've been the president of uh, that body. I was only the second Australian to be the president of the OIE. Uh, the, the standards it sets are recognised under the WTO as uh, the international trading standards. And so for that reason, it's very important for Australia because we are a large exporter of animals and animal products and because we're concerned about uh, ensuring that other countries adopt international standards that will protect our, our biosecurity. So it was a great privilege to be able to lead that work. Um, 
obviously it was very disappointing over the last couple of years not to be able to meet in person. Uh, usually the general session has about 600 to 800 uh, participants and so it's quite a buzz to, to chair such a large meeting in Paris. Uh, but uh, the, the last session was held virtually for the first time over Zoom, uh, very late at night uh, for us in Australia. Uh, so that, that was a first. And uh, because of the COVID situation, we were also able to initiate and lead some work on wildlife health and one health, uh, which would not otherwise have, have received the priority uh, that it did uh, due to COVID. Coming into the presidency, there were three things that I was particularly wanting to ensure. One was uh, good governance of the organisation. Um, it's often been opaque about how it makes its standards and makes its decisions because the decisions it makes are quite significant. If it decides that your country is free or not of foot and mouth disease, that has huge trade implications. Um, and likewise, its financial management needed uh, better governance. So that was one of the areas I was focused on. Another area was trying to get countries to uh, and members to be more participating in the development of the standards. We found that at the general session, everybody put their hand up and voted for the adoption of the standards, but then only a small number would actually go out and implement those standards and bring them into effect. And so I'm trying to get them to better engage in the development of the standards and then to understand why it was that they weren't implementing them. Was there an impediment in legal uh, facility within the country or is there an issue of uh, 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 capacity that, that could be addressed through training or, or capacity building? And then the third area was around veterinary voice, trying to ensure that the veterinary profession uh, was contributing its voice globally in the international discussions uh, on issues that are of uh, concern and interest to us. And that was particularly around antimicrobial resistance initially, uh, because we were finding that uh, health bodies were saying, well, because the agriculture sector is using so many antibiotics, the problem sits with them, and this is what they need to do. This is stop, stop treating animals, stop using antibiotics. And I felt that the, the veterinary voice needed to be heard in that discussion. But then uh, with the uh, emergence of uh, COVID, then the veterinary voice became even more important as a spillover disease coming from wildlife uh, into uh, animals, into humans, and then back into animals again, as we've seen in mink uh, in uh, North America and uh, Europe. So it's been a, a very busy uh, period over the last three years and a great privilege uh, to lead that organisation and I'll, and I'll continue to serve on the board for the next three years. Fantastic. Well, um, yeah, it's, you've clearly been very successful in your aims, so um, congratulations on a very successful presidency. Um, and as you say, it's important to have uh, a veterinary voice in so many of these issues, particularly regarding things like One Health, um, which is something that personally I'm very interested in. And as you say, particularly with COVID, that's been even more important. So how's your department activated with um, the, the COVID pandemic over the past year or so? Uh, so initially we were very interested in the, the spillover and the, the origins of, of uh, COVID. Uh, so we contributed quite a lot to the international discussions and the 
terms of reference for the mission that went to uh, China to look at the, the origin of, uh, of uh, the, the COVID event. Subsequently, within Australia, there was quite a lot of concern about uh, cats and dogs when it was recognised that COVID could infect cats and dogs and uh, veterinarians were asking for advice on uh, how do they deal with animals that are presented that might have COVID, where do they send samples, is it a notifiable disease, uh, how do we, what advice do we give uh, our patient, uh, human clients that have got COVID about protecting their animals. So we worked with the, the chief veterinary officers across the states and, and put together advice and presented that on our website. And then uh, and quite a number of our veterinarians were seconded to the Department of Health to help with the, the response, particularly our epidemiology team uh, went across and, and helped with uh, the mapping and the, the tracking of uh, the COVID and its spread across Australia. And I think, uh, you know, this, this is a good uh, example of the diversity of skills that are available within the veterinary profession and how rich uh, the education is that we receive uh, within the profession in that um, veterinarians are very used to dealing with populations and populations being infected, uh, whereas the medical profession are often used to dealing with individuals uh, and their individual medical uh, conditions rather than looking at things at a population base. So we were able to contribute uh, to that and, and also to bring back uh, their experience and their learning and, and some of their approaches to our own uh, epidemiological uh, tracing of animal disease in Australia. Yeah, I was going to um, mention that and touch on the fact that unprecedented has been one of the words that's um, <laughs> been used to death just about in the last kind of 18 months. But while this time has been somewhat unprecedented, you've just kind of said it there yourself, Mark, that that kind of activity that vets have been engaged to get involved with is not. It's actually right in the lane. And, and you know, there's 20, 29 million or so pets in Australia and around two, two-thirds of every household's got a domestic pet. I've got, I've got a ginger cat. She's asleep here on the chair next to me. But um, my point to that is, is that when you zoom out from most people's experience and touch point is with a small animal or potentially large animal vet. Um, but there's actually a much broader web of knowledge and involvement across the community. And that's where that One Health comes in as we talk about people, animal and the environment all linking together and working as one, right? Yeah. And uh, that, that's one of the great things about being a veterinarian in my position and, and in this department. Uh, just, just today, I've uh, been looking at uh, bees uh, and bee diseases in the region and uh, we're organising a, a workshop uh, across the region on bee diseases, uh, looking at uh, abalone viral gangliomuritis, a, a disease of abalone that's occurring in uh, Victoria at the moment and the environmental aspects of that and uh, putting together some talking points about ehrlichiosis in, in dogs uh, in Australia, a disease that was recently uh, detected in Australia and has spread across northern Australia. It's got uh, tick vectors. What, what's its impact on dingoes? That those types of uh, environmental issues are, are also part of the, the job description. So it's a, a remarkable profession in that regard and being able to work across a whole range of species and topics just in, in, in one working day. That's right. And, and we've talked about before that uh, human doctors just have to deal with the humans, but veterinarians obviously deal with different species um, across the board of all different shapes and sizes, um, which adds a heck of a lot more diversity um, to, to the work that you do. Um, 
what I was going to just uh, circle back to quickly was this element of food safety. Just take us through that as like, I guess for sort of the lay people like me in the room, a non-vet, that's a very economical and a community focused aspect of the work that you do. Like if diseases come in through a port or, or however that eventuates within Australia, that can really disrupt um, the community at the level of supply chain and, and all sorts of things like that, right? Yeah. I, once I graduated uh, from Murdoch back in 1989, I worked in the West Australian Department of Agriculture for a few years and then I worked in export abattoirs. So we were there you know, looking at the health of the animals that were being slaughtered, uh, ensuring their, their welfare up to the point of slaughter and then looking at the, the food safety aspects. And every consignment of meat, of dairy products, of fish that leaves Australia has a veterinary signature attached to it, uh, attesting to the, the health of the animals that are uh, represented in that, in that consignment and the disease status of, of the country. So veterinarians have a, a, a lot to contribute in that space. And I think it's very well recognised in the US where the US Armed Forces have a number of veterinarians that are embedded with it within the armed services, particularly to look after food safety uh, for those uh, serving in, in the military. In Australia, uh, we, you know, we're very fortunate that we are largely protected from many infectious diseases and, and many food safety concerns, and we can become a bit complacent. But uh, you know, it was veterinarians that eradicated tuberculosis and brucellosis uh, from Australia, and uh, it was veterinarians that addressed the risk of uh, mad cow disease, BSC, uh, some years ago. So you, you, we need to bear in mind that veterinarians play a critical role in food safety as well as animal health and animal welfare. Yeah, and it's um, obviously there's a lot of uh, veterinary professionals within the, the government that are part of this, but it's also those individual vets in, in practices, particularly those in, in rural settings, isn't it, that um, play such an important role in the surveillance and picking up on, on these important things. Um Something that we see, especially in those rural areas, I suppose, and seeing more and more of um, is shortages of attracting vets to these settings. Um, is there a particular way that you've seen this coming about and, and how, how do we sort of fix it? Is, can we fix it? What's the, what's the way forward, do you think? Uh, yeah, certainly there's a continuing concern about uh, veterinary shortage and I think uh, we need to be clear that it's not a shortage of supply. The, the veterinary uh, schools have increased uh, their, their output and you know, there's far more, more graduates now than there were uh, 10 years ago. Uh, but the, the shortage has been brought forward, I think, uh, through the pandemic uh, in not being able to move across state borders uh, has restricted uh, supply of veterinarians. Also, not being able to bring in uh, veterinarians from overseas has contributed uh, to that shortage. But there are a number of factors that contribute to the challenge of retaining veterinarians in rural and regional areas in, in particular. Uh, and there's a number of factors. Uh, it's poorly remunerated uh, for a professional degree of, of such a, a long course with such heavy uh, responsibilities. It is poorly re remunerated. It has long work hours, uh, so you're expected to uh, provide services after hours and on weekends. 
uh, particularly in rural and, and regional areas. It, I think it's much better served now in, in urban areas where we've got after-hours clinics, which you know, wasn't the case uh, a decade or two ago. Uh, in the rural and regional areas, there's also the issue of isolation, both professional and, and personal isolation, and, and, and that, again, has been exacerbated uh, through COVID. And that's combined with issues of overwork and, and burnout of veterinarians. So um, they're, they're all very challenging issues, and I'm not sure that there's any quick uh, fix. Uh, our department and, and I personally have been engaging with the, the veterinary association, with the veterinary schools and the deans uh, to try and address uh, what it is that we can try to address these issues, uh, both in, in education and, and training. Um, and I, I think a lot of it uh, comes back uh, to uh, self-care and, and uh, resilience and, and looking after oneself as a professional uh, in, in the health uh, sector. In our office, we often have uh, veterinary students. Um, uh, we place them uh, here as part of their, their rotation. And that we think that's uh, been useful uh, for us, certainly, uh, but also for the students in that they're getting an insight into the type of work that we do, the diversity and the option uh, you know, invariably, when we speak to those students, they, they want to get into mixed practice uh, immediately upon graduation. And you say, well, that, that's great. I uh, encourage you to do that. But don't forget that uh, five or ten years down the uh, track, we're, we're still here and we'll be doing interesting things. And if you if you come to us with that mixed practice experience or any other experience, we'd be interested in uh, having you come back as a as an officer within the veterinary department of, of this uh, uh Commonwealth Department of Agriculture. Yeah, and that's something actually which, Cam, there's um, some Facebook groups and things like that and, and forums online that offer more informal, I guess, opportunities to engage with peers in the community for vets. Um, there's one in particular called um, Go Stay Diversify. I think I've got the order right on that. But um, it talks about, uh, it's sort of an opportunity for peers, Cam, to get together, isn't it, very much and talk about whether they're going to leave small animal practice, clinical practice and, and find something else. But um Mark, I think the question to you really is, um, do you think this is peer-led, um, led by the unis, opening people up to the, the fact that there are different opportunities for veterinarians to get into and it's not necessarily just a pathway straight to clinical practice, for example, to work out that it's not for you and then find something else? Or is it truly just we need to start pulling a few a few strings in a few different directions and and get it get it going in the right direction again so that I suppose we're continuing to let people know that there's different and exciting and, and amazing opportunities that they can get involved with um, I think it's uh, a community uh, that it's not uh, purely the, the individual uh, responsibility yeah. certainly there is an individual responsibility um, yeah, and often we put unreal expectations on ourselves as professionals that we have to be perfect and we have to uh, see absolutely every client that comes through the door and offer the highest level of uh, service. But we need to look after our own health and well-being. But we also need to look out uh, for the mental well-being of our colleagues and, and others in the community and, and be uh, uh, open to, to recognising that uh, mental health is just as important as physical health and financial health and uh, em emotional uh, well-being. So I, I think it, it does take a, a community and all of us looking out for each other and uh, just throwing in the suggestion, uh, have, you, have you thought about working in government? Have you thought about going back and studying something that you're interested in? 
and that might be not veterinary related. It might be related to communications or, or the arts, but would then come back and, and support and, and supplement uh, your, your career in uh, veterinary science. Certainly, we, we find in our department uh, that we've got some fantastic scientists, but uh, the, the, the challenge and the bottleneck that we often face is, is communication and getting people that are able and willing to engage with social media and, and get our message out so that people understand that the science that we're doing in this department is in the interest of the Australian public and, and beneficial uh, to the nation and, and internationally. So those types of skills and that type of diversity uh, is very necessary. Yeah, exactly. And just continuing to promote those opportunities. And I suppose a forum just like this is another another way we can do that um, and continue to encourage people. And what we've tried to certainly do with this podcast is have a, a big cross-section of people as well um, and really just share some some true life stories of where people have looked to get an opportunity different to the one they started in um, or potentially have used one opportunity with a pathway mindset into something else. Um, just obviously the, the mental mental health and the mentally healthy workforce, Mark, is something we, we start to talk about now and they've become buzzwords across all sectors. I work in sport and, and I've noticed just in my short professional career already the sharp upward trajectory with a focus on mental health and, and I work for Cricket Australia and for the first time ever last year, we have, we have now have a, a mental health and well-being lead who's been appointed and, and that was something that Cricket Australia is quite proud of. But for you, you've been around the industry quite a while now. Have you really seen it genuinely come to the fore? And, and the pandemic has no doubt accelerated that as well. But that need for just a mentally healthy workforce across the board and in this case in the vet sector and, and really, yeah, just have, have you seen that genuinely change and grow over your time? Yes, and I, and I think uh, another example is the Olympics where we've seen a, a number of athletes speak out uh, pu quite publicly about their, their mental health and the importance of their mental health. And it's not just about going for the gold and, and uh, competing, but considering your, your own mental health and, and well-being. In, in my own uh, case, I didn't get into veterinary science. Uh, initially, I got into biology, finished the biology degree, then got into veterinary science. So at the end of seven years, I uh, then came to the realisation that I couldn't uh, face clinical practice and it wasn't for me. So does that mean I'm a failure? You know, what are the alternatives? And I, I found government work and eventually got you know to a position where I joined the Commonwealth government and then was posted overseas served in uh, Seoul, South Korea for six, uh, for three years and uh, another three years in uh, China and was briefing the Prime Minister when he came uh, through on, on the free trade agreement, meeting with, with premiers and uh, ministers of agriculture and thinking, well, I never anticipated that that would be the case when I was a, a struggling uh, veterinary graduate with no... Um, hope of, of getting into clinical practice and thinking, well, what do I do now to, to being able to represent Australia internationally like that uh, was a, a, a remarkable uh, example, I, I think, of the diversity and the options that are available within the veterinary profession and being open to that and, and uh, willing to uh, pursue interesting avenues, I, I think, is critical to your, your mental health and your stimulation and, and growing as an individual. It takes a fair amount of bravery, though, to do that as well, doesn't it? To go, 
and this again is is across many sections of um, the community, but to pause and potentially take that deep breath and go, actually, I need to move and find something different. Um, did you find that in yourself as well, even just having to be really true to, okay, the clinical practice isn't for me, I'm, but but there's something out there. And I suppose maintaining that energy that you, the the work will pay off and you'll, and you'll find something that, and it'll click eventually for you. Yeah, and I, and I think it also is about uh, examining yourself and seeing what uh, is of interest and, and what where your passions lie. When I looked at clinical practice, I was terrified uh, the in dealing with individual clients on every 10-minute basis, I, I couldn't do that. I'm quite a, a strong introvert and I have a very poor memory um, and I, I thought that that was not going to be a good fit. But we're working on uh, national uh, and international issues uh, and seeing the significance of, of that work uh, really uh, ticked the box for me. I look at people that have set up practices or set up businesses and I'm just in admiration. I, I can't imagine how, how you'd go about doing something like that. Uh, but I, I feel quite comfortable in, in uh, you know, this uh, bureaucratic uh, framework, which I know for many others is, is very uncomfortable and, and not a good fit at all. So you need to be aware of your own uh, comfort and, and also be willing to challenge your, your area of comfort. Yeah, and like something else that, I think I've learned again in my in my short time working is it might not you might not be broken it's the thing that you you're doing um or it just simply doesn't fit. Yeah there's there's some uh, numerous examples of workplaces that are, are not healthy places to to be and uh, it's not in your interest to to persevere uh you for for your benefit and and the benefit of those around you you should be uh, looking for, for what works for you and, and for others. I think it's a really interesting um, parallel that you drew between Olympians striving for gold and um, us as us as vets striving for, you know, 100% on all the tests and doing the best for all our patients all the time. And it can feel pretty um, crushing when you can't, you know, win the gold medal or do your absolute best all the time. Um what do you think, where can we target our, our help um, for those getting into the profession? Is it, is it something that we can be putting more into vet schools or is it you know, everyone's part of it? Or, um, yeah, what, can, what do you think we can do? Um, I, I think that's uh, very important. Um, and I, I think having a, a focus purely on uh, academic achievement it, it creates a very narrow um, uh, entry point to, into the profession and, and one that doesn't reflect well on, on the graduates. And so it's pleasing to see a number of universities take a broader approach to look at you know, what, what experience have you had with animals, what experience have you had in rural settings uh, dealing with, with uh, the public, what experience have you had with failure and, and not being uh, a success in, in every aspect of your life. Uh, looking for those those types of examples, I, I think uh, the training that's being provided now on on mental health and the openness and willingness to speak about it uh, is very encouraging. It, it uh, when I entered the profession, that wasn't the case. It, it was very much a, a taboo subject to talk about mental health and to say that you're not doing well and that you're you're seeking support or that you're taking medication uh, was not something that could be openly spoken about. Um, so I think uh, those uh, types of initiatives are, are the, the correct ones because 
it, it needs to start at the earliest point possible. So when, when you've decided to become a veterinarian, then start setting yourself up to be a success as a veterinarian by looking at your, your mental health and your resilience and uh, uh, the uh, diversity of experience and your ability to work in different settings because it is such a, a diverse profession um, rather than coming to the, the the 20-year point in your career and deciding, oh, well, I'm really hating this and I've got no other options. Um, it, you, you really need to be able to look at what are the options opportunities and and then be open to those opportunities yeah well said i suppose um somewhat lastly i was just gonna ask um how how um often and, and what's the kind of operating uh, rhythm there for you to communicate with um universities and and maybe things you're picking up around the needs for what the industry is looking for and shaping i suppose the direction of you know there's there's some obviously some very core um the curriculum in terms of the learnings, but the I guess the human stuff and the, and the people stuff and the, and the additional layers that you've talked about. How much of that are you are you having an open dialogue um, with the unis and and the, and the vet boards council and, and the AVA? Uh, so we we try and meet uh, with the uh, the deans uh, once a year. It's been a bit disrupted uh, with COVID, mm. um, and uh, likewise with with the veterinary association. Um, and, and one of the key areas of discussion has been around uh, the, the challenge of uh, creating a, a degree that equips everybody to uh, be a professional in, in every aspect of veterinary science. Um, and it, even though many that are entering that uh, course of study know that they only ever want to work on horses, but they're going to be educated on fish and uh, birds and small animals and uh, livestock and you know do, do we really need to put them through all of that uh, and you know there's a number of examples of uh, people that have very clear understanding at, at the point that they enter the, the degree what they want to get out of it uh, but there are many others who uh, like me you know get to the end of the, the uh, uh, degree and recognize that what they thought they were going to do is not going to work and they need that that diversity or those options so but that means that you end up with a, a six-year degree and you're working through your, your your summer vacations doing placements and rotations and it, it creates a, a very high uh, tempo and a very uh, high level of uh, pressure creates uh, debt that uh, graduates take with them into a, a low-paying uh, job uh, upon graduation so they're, they're the types of, of issues that uh, we talk uh, to the uh, the deans and the vet schools and uh, the AVA about. Um, being the the chief veterinary officer and uh, the OIE representative, we also bring the international uh, standards and expectations there. Uh, so the OIE has what they call day one competencies, an expectation that all uh, graduating veterinarians will have a certain level of competency on, on day one uh, so that they're able to uh, r- recognise their disease, treat the disease, uh, issue a, a health certificate, uh, draw samples, th- those types of uh, activities. And uh, for us, obviously, it's much less of an issue than it is for developing countries. And so we're trying to work with universities to partner with other uh, veterinary schools uh, in our region and so we've got a couple of our veterinary schools now 
partnering with veterinary schools in our region to try and bring up their curriculum uh, so that they're able to achieve those types of day one competencies. The other area is the veterinary statutory agencies, so the veterinary boards. Um, and again, uh, we're partnering uh, into the ASEAN region, trying to develop a, a common veterinary curriculum and veterinary uh, statutory uh, authority uh, format across ASEAN so that graduates within the ASEAN region will be recognised across borders and, and reach a, an agreed level of competency. Uh, so that they're you know, both a mix of, of national and international uh, activities that we were engaging with the, the universities and uh, the veterinary uh, schools and uh, the veterinary authorities on. Yeah, and so there's uh, that opportunity there for Australia to um, be a leader and, and push things forward and push for that change. And you've, you've talked about some of those things you did in your time as president and will continue to do with the IAE now as you represent Australia. But um, at the same time, we, 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 I suppose, need to make sure others don't get left behind at the same time and, and the gap is broadened. Um, the other thing, we were talking to a recent graduate on a, on a podcast just last week about um, if we added all of the extra things or elongated the, the communication um, role plays and things like that in the university degree, you'd be at school for about 10 years. Um, so <laughs> you potentially would have already left before you'd even graduated, which we definitely don't want that. Um, so Yes, um, and uh, one area that we're reaching out now is into the uh, Pacific. Uh, we're uh, trying to establish a network of uh, uh, veterinary authorities across the Pacific, try and increase their capacity. Uh, most of them don't have veterinary schools. Many of them don't even have veterinary staff. Uh, so to try and uh, ensure that they've got good animal health and biosecurity arrangements in place, particularly in the face of African swine fever at the moment as it's uh, spreading around the world. Uh, but also with the challenges posed by COVID where uh, if they had uh, veterinary laboratories that have been taken over for COVID testing and uh, they're, they're not able to get out and do animal health surveillance uh, uh, because of movement restrictions. So we're, we're looking to see what, what, air, what expertise we can offer and what capacity building we can do in the region. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's, it's clearly varied and broad but has an amazing expertise and, and commitment to it as well. And I'm certainly learning so much with all of these conversations we've had. And, you know, I'm just a, a ginger cat owner who's only interacted traditionally with um, the smallies at my local clinic. So thanks very much for, for helping us to zoom out, Mark, and, and just look at the, the bigger picture and the role that vets do play. And we'll just continue to champion that and celebrate what it is that vets bring to the table. And um, we appreciate you stopping by for a chat. Oh, thank you. And congratulations on the magnificent work that Flynn's Walk and Flynn's Talk have been doing. Uh, we're great uh, supporters here and, and uh, would uh, encourage anyone that is listening and interested to follow us on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn to, to see some of the issues that we're talking about and dealing with. Great to have Mark in for a chat, Cam, and uh, absolutely particularly good that we did actually get to to connect with him. Well, I well, I got the chance to meet him in Canberra, um, and then away we went, and, and here we are and have have done a podcast, which is great. So, yeah, just really good. I enjoyed um, Mark's perspective, I suppose, in in what is like an incredibly high up um, influential position, but um, I guess he was able to bring everything back really down to a grassroots level as well and 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 just share some insights on 
how how um, vets all around Australia might be able to find a way to diversify their skill set or, or activate a part of their skill set maybe they haven't tapped into. Yeah, just another way to to look at the amazing opportunities that um, that having a, a vet degree or or just any sort of position in the the vet field can have um i don't know if i'd quite have the energy to to get across all the things that he's across but um it's a pretty pretty amazing career that's for sure well i i haven't met um a vet yet who isn't great at more than one thing um you've got you've got many talents yourself mate and um i think you know you're probably underplaying your own your own capacity there but um there seems to definitely be a, a personality trait or desire within vets that i've picked up which is that to be to be good at many things or, or maybe it's just that vets are naturally passionate or, or into into learning things um but i've certainly picked that up i don't know what your your read on that is but um that's just for me sitting back having i suppose had the opportunity now to meet to meet lots of different people. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, as you say, sort of a desire to learn learn different things, um, sort of interest in, in many areas, I suppose, um, sort of feeds that that interest and, and desire to have a crack at lots of different stuff, I guess. Yeah, nice. Um, we obviously do explore the topic of mental health quite a lot on this show, Um just in general, we like to mention that there's support services available if you are needing any help. Um, Lifeline's always there, 13, 11, 14. There's the suicide callback service. Um, don't worry about writing all these numbers down hurriedly. I'll put them in the show notes um, for where, you're, where you've picked up the episode. Um, but Are You Okay is a great resource as well if you're just looking to find a way to get a little bit of help or start a conversation with someone that you know. Um, we're a big supporter of the work that, that they do. Um, and Beyond Blue as well is another fantastic organization. And Headspace, if you're under 25, is a great resource as well. Not just if you are under 25, you may have an under 25 in your house, um, might be your son or daughter. So there's always help for you if you need it or help for you if you know someone who's in need and you're looking to support them. Cam, thanks very much, mate, for joining me. And Thank you. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure. It sure is. 